Aloha, and welcome to the Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Hope Chapel exists to grow ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them through Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Today, Pastor Ralph is back with a message entitled, Keep Your Love From Growing Stale. And now, here's Pastor Ralph. We're going to look in the scripture today, and, and we're going to look at two scriptures. One is very negative. It's in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, and we're going to just look at this, this pretty much terrible passage that explains an answer to this question. Why do so many marriages fail? You know, in the West Coast, some of the cities now, 60% of new marriages, first-time marriages, are going to end up in a divorce. That's terrifying. Second-time marriages, people who've been wounded before and, and, and they've gone through the heat and the pressure and all that, and you'd think that they'd be willing to lay down the sword and get in a new marriage and just love somebody. The 80% divorce rate in second-time marriages. Los Angeles. Terrifying. Terrifying. Why is that? Well, the answer the Bible gives is this. That we live in what's called the last days. The Bible teaches us that we're in a huge cosmic warfare between good and evil, between God and Satan. And that as time goes on, God being a God who respects humans and allows us free moral judgment, we make our own choices, holds off and doesn't intervene in our lives, doesn't force himself. He's a gentleman. He wants to work in our hearts. When you come to church and you worship the Lord and you begin to feel something deep inside you, that's God touching you. That's God's presence. That's God's power. God wants to work in that way, but He won't force you. But the Bible says, as we come up to the end, it's, it describes several things. It, it describes political alignments. One of the things you need to watch for is Germany. Remember this rift with the U.S. over Iraq? Watch Germany drift closer and closer to the Russians. The Bible talks about two, two nations, Gog and Magog, coming down from the north toward the Battle of Armageddon in the book of Ezekiel. And when you look up those ancient names and you look for modern names, it's Russia and Germany. Watch those nations align themselves. Watch the world change. We're, we're fitting together. The Middle East pretty much fits together the patterns already that the Bible describes as, as those from the West, those from the East, in this final battle. Those kinds of things are descriptive of the last days. But the Bible says in the last days, that life is going to start to get tough. People are going to be hard of heart. People are going to not love each other. They're not going to care for each other. It says in the last days that we read through Revelation a year or so ago that, that, they're, they're, that men's hearts will be failing them because of fear. And think of the terrorism that's going on in our world. Think of the SARS epidemic. The Bible talks about a city that, that it describes as Babylon, which is the economic driver of the world, going up in smoke and ships at sea standing off in a distance mourning the destruction of this great city. And it sounds like a nuclear holocaust. And you put together September 11th with the fear that we have that somebody could smuggle a nuclear device into New York Harbor. And, and, and you begin to realize the reality of these ancient truths that were written 2,000 and 2,000 plus years ago. And, and, it, and it makes you realize that we really are living in what the Bible calls the last times. Well, listen to this description of 2 Timothy. The Apostle Paul is a church planter. And he's writing to the pastor uh, of the church in Ephesus, a, a guy that was his friend, a guy he mentored. And he said, you should also know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Now, he describes these difficult times in these ways. I put about five of them here. Uh, verse 2, uh, point A. For people will love only themselves and their money. Well, isn't that the truth? Pleasure is the main driver of our society. People are self-centered. They're not God-centered. 
They're not family-centered. They're not patriotic and nation-centered. They're self-centered. Remember that book we read, The Purpose-Driven Life? starts out by saying, it's not about you. It's about the Creator. And once you line things up with the Creator and you begin to realize that, that I'm created with a purpose, then you begin to think about other people. You can start to think about ministry. You can start to think about discipleship. I think how to love your spouse or how to love your girlfriend is a discipleship issue. I want to be like Jesus in this relationship. What is my purpose here? But people will be centered on themselves and on their money because it's money that we use to buy pleasure. And you can see evidence of this everywhere. You can see it in your own family. You can see it in your own heart. You can certainly see it in the politics, in your office, or in the business that you're in, the ethics of people around you, that they care only about themselves and about how to make another buck. And, and, and it's destroying the way that we need to be. The second part here, B, they will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. Now, there's a mouthful, and we could spend time with every word, but we're not going to. It says they'll be boastful and proud. You understand what that's all about. They'll scoff at God. Here's why people scoff at God. They want Him out of their life. People knowing, the book of Romans says, knowing that God exists, make up arguments against Him and try to scoff at Him because they don't want to have to deal with the fact that He's there and He wants to be the leader in their life. He wants to control them. You see, self-centeredness is the exact description of sin. God wants us to surrender to Him and when we turn our back on Him and reject Him as the leader in our life, that's what the Bible calls sin. God's not mad at you for all the little rotten deals you ever did. What, what, dis, what dishonors God is you saying, I'll run this show. I don't need you here. And so people are scoffing at the Lord, trying to keep God out of their life. Usually the person who's talking the loudest in the anti-God realm is the person who's hurting the most inside because God's trying to deal with their heart. You can count on it. It says that people will be disobedient to parents. Well, we live in the era of disobedience to parents. You know, we, we complain so much about our public schools here in Hawaii, and, and, and there are problems. There, there are probably problems with the way the school district is structured. There are probably problems with the way the unions work. There are problems for certain with the, the amount of money we don't invest in the campuses, keeping them up. But you know, I've talked to some teachers and administrators. Here's one of the biggest problems that they're facing right now is parents who come into their office and physically threaten them with violence because they disciplined a kid. Why is that? Well, because in our culture, we actually let the children run the show. There are parents that you see that treat their, their, their daughter like she's their sister or their son like she's their brother. And they, they let the little kids make the decisions. And, and all the kid has to do is start making a lot of noise in public and the parent caves in every time. It's, a, it's embarrassing sometimes what you see happen. But when that kid grows into an adult, they're uncontrollable. And, 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 and then look at the crime problems that we're having in our culture. We can't figure out why. Well, because in the last days, people will have turned their back on God. And rather than being God-centered, they're self-centered. And, and they take the easy route at every turn. Isn't this, isn't this building you up and making you feel comfortable and wonderful? <laughs> it says that they will be ungrateful. They will be ungrateful. People will no longer be thankful. You know, if you're not a thankful person, you never can be a happy person. If you're an unthankful person, an ungrateful person, then most days are just sort of bad days for you. But if something really nice happens to you, it gets you to neutral. You can feel pretty good about things. If you're a thankful person, you go around and you're always thankful for all the good stuff in your life. You're always living on the positive side of the scale. And once in a while, you have a down day. You know, not too long ago, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this... Um, does anybody have one of these journals with you that we, that we put in church? I, I can never... What is the name of the darn thing? What's it called? My Journey with God. My Journey with God. Hold it up so everybody can see it. 
Okay, it's, they got them for sale back there. I, I wrote the thing, I put it together, and I sat around fooling around trying to figure out different titles for it, and I got all those titles buzzing around in the back of my brain, and I can never remember the right one that we picked, but it's called My Journey with God. But I, I use this thing, I use it most mornings. If, I, if I'm reading a book that really speaks to my heart, I, I just write in a journal, so I'll, I'll remember it. If, if, if I feel like the Lord spoke to me during my prayer time, I write that down and I date it. I, I've, I've been, if I am reading the scripture and some scripture really stands out to me, I'll actually write that scripture in there. And, and then what, the, what I really do every day is the things that I pray about, I write a list of them and I go back and I check them off and write the date in when God answered the prayer because it builds my faith. Well, one day I, I, I got to thinking uh, about just how thankful I am for my wife. This is a nice thing to say on Mother's Day, but I'd say it anyway. I just am thankful for her. And, you know, we've gone through this cancer battle and everything and, and, and so I, I just started writing down the things that make me thankful in my life for the way my children turned out, for my grandchildren, for the, for the way you guys are as a congregation. I, I just, I want to be a thankful person. Another day I started writing the times that I've been against, my back against the wall where there was no escape. You know, something terrible was coming down the pipe and, 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 and disaster was looming and then God rescued me. And the only answer is that God rescued me. And you have a bunch of those things. And if you'll learn to be a, a, a grateful person, a thankful person, what will happen is you'll have more faith in God. You'll have a closer walk with Him. You'll have more trust, and when trouble comes, you'll know where you can turn, and it'll make a difference in your life. But this is describing all these negatives of these ungrateful people, so let's go on with it. It says, they will consider nothing sacred. People don't even consider their word sacred anymore. There used to be a time that you could do handshake deals in business deals. But now you write long, drawn-out, elaborate contracts, and then even that, you sign it, and, and your signature means nothing. Your word is not sacred anymore. It used to be that you could go to inner-city neighborhoods, and, and, and there'd be a big burglary problem, but they'd leave the church alone because the church was sacred. It represented God. But this church has been burglarized numerous times while we were in, in, in first in construction. And, and then when we first moved up here, uh, nobody considers anything sacred in our society anymore. It goes on and says, they will be unloving and unforgiving. Well, that's natural for self-centered people. They're not, they don't love anybody but themselves, and, and so they don't have any love to really give away to others. Unforgiveness. You know, you hurt me, I'm keeping a record. Last week, Carl got up here and talked about how, how agape love doesn't keep a record of, of the things, the wrongs that have been done. It doesn't bring up old events from the past whenever you get in a fight. It says, they will slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel. They have no interest in what is good. They'll betray their friends. They'll be reckless. They'll be puffed up with pride. And they'll love pleasure rather than God. I'm not going to get into all that. It's just too negative. Look at verse 5. They'll act as if they're religious, but they'll reject the power that could make them godly. The word power there, the Greek word is dunamis. And it's a word that kind of rolls over in English and gives us our word dynamite. You know, it gives us our word dynamo, which is a word like electric generator. It gives us our word dynamic, an exciting, dynamic person, you know, some charismatic individual. And it's really here talking about the power of God. There'll be people in the last days talking about spirituality. Almost everybody that you know is, has some angle on spiritual things. Oh, the God I worship wouldn't be like the God of the Bible. The God I worship, and they've concocted this idea in their mind of something that they call God. And, and they're just, there's this spirituality, but they reject the power that God has. You know, I've been praying something about this church. In fact, I actually feel like the Lord told me that I'm supposed to pray. And, and it's, it'll sound odd when I say it, because it's actually a phrase. I, I, I've been praying, Lord, bring your glory on your house. And I mean this physical location. I think God told me to pray. The Bible talks about us feeling in our hearts, feeling pressed down by the weight of God's glory. 
I've been praying that when you come together and you worship and you come and you sing, that you don't just come and be entertained by the, the team that's up here. Or that it just doesn't become a sing-song time. But that when you're singing these songs, because they're really most of them prayers, that you interact with God. And I know that every one of us would say, well, at some time in my life that's happened. You know, I, I felt the presence of the Lord. Well, what I'm praying is that you walk into the room and you feel the presence of the Lord. That as you're singing the songs, that you're, that you're sensing the Spirit of God. Because the power of God comes from the Holy Spirit. Who, the Bible says when we become Christians, He comes to live in us. Jesus promised us that He would be a comforter to us. He'd be a counselor. He'd be a teacher. He'd lead us. I'm praying that when you, when you hear the words of God proclaimed, where I'm up here teaching, or Carl's up here teaching, or Rob or somebody, that you're hearing the Spirit of God talk. You, you, you're hearing way more than the words that I'm saying, but that you're, you're feeling and you're sensing and you're hearing the Spirit of the Lord speak to you and, and lift you up and build you up or, or scold you or whatever He needs to do in your life at that time, but that, that His presence is there. Because, it, folks, without this power, without this dunamis, without the Holy Spirit, why go to church? It's a waste of time. I mean, if God can't transform a busted-up marriage, like we heard that girl Brandy two weeks ago, if God can't change somebody and put love in their heart miraculously, then we're just barking up the wrong stump. If God can't set an alcoholic person free, there's a man in our church spent some time with my son yesterday and telling him his story about how he, he came to Hawaii and he was, he was bereft of money, and 35 cents in his pocket. He was drinking, going through a case of beer a day, four packs of cigarettes a day, and just ruined as an individual. Doctor told him he wasn't going to live. Doctor told him, he went and told the doctor, I, I became a Christian, I quit drinking. And the doctor said, that in itself will kill you. You quitting that fast will kill you. That was a long time ago. It didn't kill him. He's sitting right outside there drinking coffee because he was in church last night and Friday night. He's here all the time. If there isn't the power of God to do that in people's lives, then this is just a bunch of nonsense. If Christianity comes down to a bunch of people who gathered around a group of rules and figured out that they had enough rigid discipline to keep the rules and now they have the right to look down on everybody else and judge people, well, who, who'd want to be a part of that? You know, that's what some people think. People need to know, God loves you. And God is not mad at you. He wants to make your life into something good. And the power of God is available. So what is all this saying? It's a very negative text we've looked at. It's saying that in the last days, people will have turned their back on God heavily and gotten self-centered and their lives are going to be in ruin. It doesn't say one thing about marriage in here, but it is the answer to that question. Why do so many marriages fail? Are you, are you, are you with me? Now, here's an interesting thing. In Psalm 37, it's my favorite chapter in the whole Bible, it talks about times of famine. And it says, I've lived a long life and I've looked around and I've seen, I've never seen the children of the righteous begging bread. In times of famine, the righteous have plenty to eat. In other words, God takes care of people who are godly people through difficult times. Well, then that would mean that we could expect him, if there's a famine of love in the land, that in this time there's a famine of love, there can still be plenty of love in our hearts, plenty of love in our homes, plenty of love in our dating relationships, plenty of love to see us through. We can count on God to do that. Does that make sense to you? Is this, this is pretty good stuff this morning, huh? Well, let's go to Romans chapter 12. I want to look at just one verse of Scripture over here. Romans chapter 12. And this is the positive side of the equation. It starts talking about love. And again, as Paul is writing here, he's not writing a, a, a teaching on marriage. 
He's writing to Christians about loving each other and loving the people around them. But that certainly would include your dating relationship. Or that would include your marriage. Or that would include your family or whatever. And he starts out by saying in verse 12, just love each other with genuine affection. The word love, let me, let me give you two Greek words. And don't write this down because it, it's not worth writing down. But it, it'll make a point. The word love in Greek is philostorgos. Philostorgos. And then when it says affection, genuine affection, the word there in Greek is Philadelphia, brotherly love. So you're supposed to philostorgos each other with Philadelphia. But do you see the word phileo in those two words? And when it says love each other with genuine affection, the philostorgos word means to cherish each other. Now today's Mother's Day. And you got these little kids up here singing, and they're as cute as all get out. Wasn't it a trip? And, you know, they're going, I, I love you. You know, all that. Well, you know, we have these times that we set aside in America. We have Mother's Day, so we cherish our mom on that day. We have Father's Day. We cherish our dad on that day. We have Christmas and Thanksgiving. We cherish our family on those times. We, they, they, in, in many ways, Christmas in America has become more about family than it's been about God, about the birth of Jesus. And you know, At our family at Christmas, we always sit around and thank the Lord for everything He's done for us in the last year before we open presents because we want to remember this is about Jesus. But there's, this, there's that warm, fuzzy feeling about it's Mother's Day and you want to do something special, you know? And, and, uh, and, and, and you, you want to show that you cherish your mom. I got a call this week from my daughter-in-law. It can, can, can we take you guys out on Monday night for Mother's Day? And, and man, that, that warmed my heart that, that my son and daughter-in-law wanted to, to you know, it's, just, it's cool. And I've been struggling around trying to figure out what to buy my wife for Mother's Day. And I even asked my secretary to write me a list of suggestions. And, and uh, I, I ended up doing the same old thing. You know, I, I went out and bought her flowers. But I, I went to this flower shop and, and I met this lady. This, I think she's from Hong Kong. Um, she's still struggling to learn English. She had designed this gorgeous thing, and it was just a one of a kind. It was a it was a sample to see if it sold, and then they would they would sell some more. And she just new worker at the shop, and it is really pretty. And and so I got that, and I got this outrageously funny card that's about this big. And I I came home, and she wasn't home, and so I I, I just set them out on the table and in a, in a nice place, as if she would have already set them up, you know. And, and I just left them there. And later on, she came home, and she was all surprised and, and happy. And, and then later on, she's trying to dig out of me how much I spent. And uh, she pays the bills so she could figure out when she saw the credit card. But she goes, she goes now I hope you didn't spend a million dollars on those flowers. And I, and, I, and I knew what she wanted to know. So I said, no, I just spent this much. Oh, you shouldn't have spent that much. But you know what? She's glad I did. <laughs> You're supposed to cherish that person. You know, some of you have become so used to each other that you just take for granted everything that's good about that person. You're not thankful anymore. You just get to a point where you're kind of bored with each other. Once a year, you go out of your way to cherish that person or to pretend you do or whatever. The Bible here is saying to, 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 to cherish each other with genuine, now watch this, friendship. The word Philadelphia doesn't mean lusty love. And it doesn't mean that agape love. It means friendship. Friendship. I keep telling this story. But, you know, I used to just, my idea, uh, Monday morning is my day off. And so a lot of times my wife and I will go out to breakfast just to kind of 
get over Sunday. Believe it or not, you know, just standing up here talking stresses you out a little bit, you know, and Sundays I go pretty tired. And, and so we have our little routines. And we'd go out for breakfast, and I'd always get the newspaper and sit there and read all the way through the newspaper. And we wouldn't talk. And one day I realized she's feeling lonely sitting at breakfast with her husband. And I owe her more than that, and I love her more than that. And so I quit doing that. I just don't do that anymore. We just go sit, and we just be together. We be together. I don't like TV. I mean, I like the History Channel. I like Discovery. I like that kind of TV. But like regular TV, I, I, my wife loves old movies. You know what? To keep this marriage going, I need to be willing to watch some old movies with my wife. I'd rather sit around the room and just listen to music and, and maybe read a book. To keep this marriage alive, she needs to do that with me. And we've, we've learned to do it. You need to cherish each other with friendship. You need to go for walks. You need to go to the beach. How long has it been since, you know, a lot of us here, you get, when you're young, you go hang out at the beach all the time, check out the girls, you know. You get older, the beach is it's still pretty, you know. And just go hold hands. I'm learning to hold my wife's hand. It's a cancer deal, you know, kind of change some things for us. Makes you really appreciate what you have. I'm learning we're in the shopping center just to, just to take her hand. She loves that. And I love it. Sometimes it leads to other things. <laughs> if she was here, she'd scowl at me right now. I, I, I've taken it to opening the car door for her again. Things I used to do a long time ago. And, and you know something? I'm getting blessed by it. Because it's causing the love to well up inside of me in ways it never did before. Does that make sense? Let's go on. We'll get done here. It says that you should delight in honoring each other. You should delight in honoring each other. This is what Carl talked about last week where you know, he said he knew a couple that and he, they went out to dinner and, 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 the, and, and, and each of the people were kind of self-effacing, but then their partner was bragging on them. I mean, this is just plain old logic here. It's, just, it's God's wisdom mixed with God's power and it can make a wonderful thing out of your marriage. It can make a wonderful thing out of your marriage. You know, my wife is a big deal this week. Uh, today, this is the, the week that she finally came out in public without a hat on, you know, after the chemotherapy. And uh, I've been bugging her for about 10 days about this because she looks cute and I think it looks great. And, and she gets, ah, you know. And so I, I, I just kept telling her, just go to the post office. You don't know anybody at the post office. Just one time when you've got to go to the post office, just go there without your hat on and, and just see if you can, you know, handle doing that. And, and her hair's about like this, and, and she can comb it. She can make it do anything it wants to do. Mine wants to go all funny all the time. But, and uh, so she went out, and she, she came and told me she was going to go to the post office, and she was going to go to the bank, and she was going to go without her hat, and she was hoping she wouldn't run into anybody she knew. And so I said, that's great. This was on Thursday. I studied on Thursday for my message. Well, I sat there, and I prayed, and I actually prayed quite a bit. I prayed, Lord, I pray that she'll run into somebody she knows at the bank and at the post office. <laughs> and that they'll compliment her. Because I'll give her some confidence. Well, she got real brave. She went to the bank, the post office, and Safeway. <laughs> and she ran into people everywhere she went. And she came back and she was beaming. She knows she's okay. She didn't have to worry about it. And so I told her that I had afraid that she'd run into people she knew. And she called me a rat. We're supposed to be friends. In the midst of a world 
that's losing it. That's going to lose it worse. In the midst of a world that every time you turn on the news, there's, there's something that's almost designed to frighten you so it'll keep you listening. You know about the SARS epidemic? Did you know that the death toll in SARS is far lower than the death toll from the, from the flu? Now, SARS, there's a reason to be concerned. It's spreading so fast. But on the other hand, far more people survive it than survive the flu every winter. So how much of that is just concocted fear designed to get you to stay there and watch some more so you'll watch some more commercials? We live in a kind of really goofed up world. A really goofed up world. But there's no reason for us to be goofed up in it if we know the Lord. If we've got this dunamis power from God that, see, that can do this, that can take the simple little words of Romans, cherish your partner with genuine friendship. Take those words and drive them deep into your heart and get you with it on Tuesday morning and get you with it on Wednesday afternoon and get you with it on Thursday night and get you to the place where you're going, oh, oh this is God telling me that I'm supposed to do this nice thing for my partner or say this nice thing or honor them in some way or compliment them or do something. This is God at work in our midst. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe.